Please stand with me this morning. We're going to read today from Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 39. And so it's speaking to a, a crowd of uh, people and, and his disciples. Jesus says this. He says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. May God add his blessing to his word. You may be seated this morning. <clears throat> I had three near-death experiences before the age of five. I have a piece of artwork installed right here in North Olmstead from when I was in high school. I had a series of poems published in a literary magazine in college. If you couldn't tell, we're playing a little game of two truths and a lie. So I wanted to see a show of hands. Who thinks the lie is that I had three near-death experiences before the age of five? Okay, a couple of you, a couple of you. I want everyone to at least vote on one because there were some people last service that did not raise their hand. Who thinks the lies that I have a piece of artwork here in North Olmstead? Okay, well, more on that one, okay. Who thinks the lie is that I had a series of poems published in a literary magazine? Okay, so, a lot of people think I'm not very artistic at all, <laughs> both in art or writing, and very few people think that I died, or almost died before the age of five. So the lie is that I had a series of poems published in college. I did submit them, but they were rejected. <laughs> but I did have three near-death experiences before I was five years old. And I do have a piece of artwork installed here in the city. It's actually at the North Homestead Library. Let's see if you can find it. <clears throat> now, my promise to you all is that I will not say anything else up here for the rest of this time that isn't truthful. Because truth is important. The truth of my life is integral to my story overall. My past, my present, my future, they all work in tandem to create my life experience. But also, I have to recognize my experiences are not everyone else's. There is a bigger world out there than the bubble we each live in. More than that, there's a bigger story being written that we are only a small part of. So what will we do with that? How will our individual lives be integral to God's bigger story. To be integral means to be a necessary part of the whole. In life, it means the opposite of separation, segregation, and isolation. Because it means to live and operate in such a way that we're working for the betterment of the whole. That we're living in tune and in agreement with the mission of whatever we're a part of. 
So it might come as no surprise then those words integral and integrity have the same root word. To have integrity means to uncompromisingly do something the right way. It doesn't matter the circumstances. We don't waver from what is right. We have a wholeness to our character, and we live in such a way where our thoughts and feelings and behaviors all match. And for the Christian, those things should be congruent with the goodness and desires of God. Now, mind you, I'm not talking about morality today. Morality is important, but there is an idea that integrity and morality are the same thing, and they're not. They are different. Morality is external. We receive morality. It comes from a source, right? Christians understand God is the only true source of morality, and Jesus Christ came to serve as the perfect example of that. He's the compass by which our morality is governed, but integrity is internal. It's often defined by our sense of morality, and it's developed over time through the courage to ask questions of the world and of ourselves, and the willingness to be honest. When we realize that maybe the answers we've been living by are incorrect. It's doing what's right, even when everyone else is doing what's wrong and especially when no one's watching. Not only do we do what's right, we seek what is right. Not only do we preach truth, we actively seek it out. In the kingdom of God, we are all called to be integral. We're working towards the advancement of the kingdom and the addition of many people to its numbers. But the truth is, and we are talking truth today, we cannot be integral if we lack Integrity. There's a pastor that I follow named Shane Pruitt. Quoted this once, said, The world has fallen so in love with lies that the truth feels like hate. Now that seems like an amen statement we can all agree with, yes? We look at the world and we say, yes, it is insane out there. And the sinful things that people are willing to do and believe and convince themselves of just proves how fallen this world is. The media lies to us with fear-mongering and sensationalism and one-sided anecdotal news. Politicians lie to us to get our votes. Social media lies to us by catering to us through an algorithm, feeding us constant confirmation bias. And I'm gonna sidebar on this real quick because I feel like it's important. Social media has become the number one outlet for many to receive and consume information in their lives, but for Christians especially, please listen to this. Do not get your news or build your view of the world by what some random person on Facebook or TikTok said. I'm trying to be multi-generational there. But it used to be that important news and information had to be vetted before it was put out to the public verified. With social media, that is not the case. Everyone has been given a voice and a platform, and let's be real, not everyone should be speaking. Christians especially, you need to be careful about what you consume and post and share. And now you might be saying, Pastor Adam, are you really saying I have to do research on everything I read before I share it? Yeah. Yes, you do. Your integrity depends on it. But let's go back to the world here. Let's talk about the world, I guess. 
the world, right, it would seem, is full of a word I'm not going to use this morning. That joke didn't land at the first service either. The world is full of everything but integrity. But let's get something straight. Christians are not infallible. It has been disheartening to me. As a Christian, as a Christian leader, especially these last few years, to see so many Christians who espouse verifiable untruths in every conceivable avenue of life without a second thought. They heard it, they believed it, they did nothing to verify it, and now they're preaching it as truth with the same mouth they used to preach the truth of the gospel. And the world is sitting there laughing at the church because of its representatives. That's heartbreaking. Just as there are many lies that worldly people subscribe to, there are many lies that Christians subscribe to as well, and our subscription to these lies often does more to shut people out of the kingdom than bring them in. Lies that affirm a sense of superiority and power. Lies that convince us that somehow our ways are better than everyone else's. Lies that convince us that we have more control of our lives. But let's get this clear. We are not superior or powerful. God is. Our ways are not better than anyone else's. God's are. We are not in control of anything. God is. But make no mistake, humbling ourselves to that reality is hard. Ironically, to lower ourselves requires growth, and growth is painful. I know too many Christians, too many Christians, who hold strong political or economic or social views that rather than filtering them through the lens of Christ, they have been shaped by the very outlets I mentioned earlier or even their upbringing or personal biases. And I have had to unlearn some of my own views as I've gotten older and hopefully wiser. But as a result of that, I also often find myself challenging those brothers and sisters in Christ in light of how Scripture calls us to live. And you know what happens they get defensive. They react as though I have somehow offended a fundamental part of who they are. They respond to me like they think I hate them, but I don't. I love them a lot, and I love God even more, and God loves the truth, so I love the truth. I only do this when I think it's clear they've somehow allowed elements of the world to shape their idea of truth instead of doing the hard work to decipher whether or not what they think or believe or say is actually true, of looking at their beliefs through the lens of Jesus Christ and asking themselves, is this right? And if it's not right, then asking the harder questions, am I willing to admit I was wrong? Am I willing to change? And it is hard work. It is so much easier to listen to the voices around us instead of the Holy Spirit within us. But when we come back to our passage in Luke here, Jesus is making a very clear call for self-examination, looking inside. Because we cannot lead people effectively if we ourselves are blind to truth. We have to go through the tough process often of examining our own 
faulty beliefs and disobedience before our teaching and leading can be fruitful. In verse 45, Jesus concludes by telling us a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If our thoughts are pure and true, then that is what we will communicate. But conversely, if we have filled ourselves with untruths and negativity, then that is what is going to spring forth. Later on in Scripture, Paul would expound on this idea, first in Philippians 4.8, excuse me, sorry about that, saying this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, he's choosing his words carefully here, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be beneficial to those who listen. This last verse here, it seems like a cut and dry statement from Paul, but is so often the case of Scripture, the greater context of a passage and its surrounding text can serve to shed even more light on what God wants to reveal to us through his word. The passage just before this in Ephesians, verse 28, sees Paul contrast the differences between thievery and labor. Both that passage and this one, in conjunction with 429, they serve to paint an image of the dichotomy of mankind. The old versus the new. The pre-saved versus the post. Thievery is something we would attribute to someone who has not yet come to understand redemption through the grace of Christ. And so should we view corrupting false talk. By saying, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, Paul is also making clear that we do indeed have control over what we say. In fact, this paints a clearer picture that we, and we alone, are the ones responsible for the language, the very words that we choose to use, and we do choose them unwholesome or otherwise. Let's, make not, let's not make a mistake here, okay? Paul is not just talking about profanity. He's talking about the overall content of our speech. We often think of profanity exclusively as swear words, yes? But profanity is defined as any language that is obscene or blasphemous. That is to say it's against God, and speaking lies certainly goes against God. Either we choose to be careful with our language, or we choose to be frivolous with it. There is no in-between. If what we say is false, or if the things we believe are not true, we are the ones solely responsible for that. In the modern day, especially in the last like 50 years or so, it seems like the barriers by which certain language and even content of conversations has been deemed acceptable, those barriers, whether they're in movies or, or literature, media, any time, uh, any type of just even regular conversation, those barriers have been stripped away. It's not shocking now to even hear Christians use harsh and obscene language in regular conversation or even speak foolishly on a matter they really haven't given any thought. 
You know, one of the things I like to tell our young people all the time is I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer. Sometimes we actually make fools of ourselves and even of God by trying to give some big answer when someone presents us with a theological question when we really have no idea what we're talking about and that does more of a disservice to the gospel than we realize. But thankfully, the word of God is eternally infallible and relevant. So what Paul said then matters now. He makes it very clear. We are to primarily speak in beneficial ways about meaningful things and secondarily in ways that are appropriate to the situation we're in. What might be acceptable in one situation, it, it might be inappropriate in another, but regardless of propriety, we are to always choose our words carefully and appropriately. Our goal always should be to edify and encourage and speak life into others with our words, not based on the prioritization of our own feelings. And Jesus, again, makes very clear how seriously he takes our words when he says this in Matthew 12, 36 and 37, but I tell you, and this hurts, this bites me, but I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Later in James chapter 3, starting in verse 9, we have an echo of Jesus' words from Luke and Matthew. He says this, With the tongue we praise our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water? Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This picture of two different rivers being unable to flow from the same spring it hits home hard. But James takes it one step, James takes it, sorry, one step further by equating wholesome, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, merciful, impartial, sincere, truthful talk and thoughts to be in tandem with wisdom and righteousness. And the converse, foolish, envious, selfish talk and actions to be earthly, unspiritual and demonic clearly scripture is trying to paint a picture for us that what we believe and the things that we say our very integrity matters a great deal to God but why well because of creation how God did it all 
and the ninth commandment. It certainly probably comes as no surprise that here I am talking today about speaking about right living, and I'm going to quote one of the Ten Commandments. Okay. But here's the thing. There's this idea from early Jewish scholars called the Ten Utterances of Creation, the idea that broke down the world was created by the means of ten utterances from God's mouth. With ten phrases, he spoke everything into existence. And each of these utterances matches up against one of the Ten Commandments. And the ninth from Exodus 20:16, you shall not give false witness against your neighbor, parallels when God spoke in Genesis 1:26, saying, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. This is not just about testifying in a courtroom. It is talking about what you say in general. Why does God care so much about our having integrity? Because to bear false witness is to bear it against someone who carries the divine image of our creator. And more often than not, bearing false witness of any sort is not the result of active deception, but due to simple inattentiveness. When we say or repeat things in life because of how it makes us feel or look, rather than giving any kind of consideration to how it will reflect Christ, we make an egregious error. It's right there in the ninth commandment. To lack integrity kills your witness. The resurrection is one of the most, if not the most, unbelievable things to have ever occurred. It stems from eyewitness accounts that a man who claimed to be God was brutally murdered by political and religious authorities and then was miraculously restored back to life three days later because he was and is, in fact, God. It is the claim that the entirety of Christianity hinges on. Belief in the unbelievable. It is what we call faith, and we confess it as truth. That's why it is so harmful for professing Christians to not only believe, but also confess and profess mistruths. Because then we show we're willing to believe anything. Regardless of evidence, so long as it fits our narrative or confirmation bias. And if we are willing to believe or say anything, then why should our belief in the unbelievable matter? Why should our belief in the resurrection matter? Now, thankfully, we serve a God who is greater than our foolishness. 1 John 1, 9 tells us this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, thank you, Jesus, from all unrighteousness. God is not above forgiving us of our belief in untruths and our speaking of lies, but as with all sin, confession is required. So maybe today you are sitting there realizing that there are ways you have been living without integrity. Things you believed, maybe even spoken about that you need to re-examine or confess. Maybe it's to a Christian brother or sister or maybe it's to a non-believer. 
Maybe it's someone you need to go to and confess to and ask forgiveness from for misrepresenting Jesus to them because of a lack of integrity. If this made you uncomfortable today, good. It makes me uncomfortable too. I tend to preach from things that I'm convicted of in my own spirit. And I'll be honest, there's been some things that I've said and done in my past that are pretty dumb. Things that I believe that were completely inaccurate. It's called growing pains. Let's not shy away from that discomfort. Let's press into it together. Let's take this time today to do that self-examination that Jesus calls us to, to confess our sins. If you need to, come to this altar for prayer. But let's be a church that seeks integrity so that we might be integral members of his kingdom, so that our witness of Jesus Christ would not be marred by worldly influences, but instead would be viewed rightly as truth. So as our worship team comes forward this morning and they begin to play, I'm gonna ask everyone in this room to take an active moment to reflect and genuinely seek God's direction. It is so easy to walk in on a Sunday morning and sit and listen and walk back, back out and put nothing into practice. I'm gonna ask you to, to do it today. I'm gonna ask you today on behalf of our Savior to take this as seriously as he does. If you feel that conviction, something telling you, yeah, you were wrong in this, don't run away from that. Don't reject it. Don't deny it. Press in. We're going to join together, myself included, to ask God to search our hearts for any area of our life where we can improve in our integrity. Would you pray with me this morning? Holy Spirit, we know you are here, but I make an active declaration, an invitation for you to permeate our hearts, to reveal to us areas where we have faltered, areas we might have even failed. Maybe we've been living with a belief system about things we really know nothing about, and it's killing our witness. Maybe we have uh, an idea in our minds about this world that isn't quite accurate, but it's forming the way that we interact with people, the thoughts we have about others, the way we, we respond to situations. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill me, reveal to me the areas I need to repent of, the things I need to confess, the places where I have allowed any sort of mistruth to take precedence over you. God, I don't want to live in a worldly way. I don't want to live guided by the world. And so I rebuke and reject that in my life, Lord, in all of our lives. That I might humbly submit myself to you and live only in your truth. And that that would be the defining compass for how I live my life. That that would build my integrity. That nobody would question my belief in you. They would only be able to see this truth. Father, may we all be people of righteousness, people of integrity, so that we might be integral members of your kingdom, Lord, and the work you've laid before us.
Thank you, Lord, and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.